All right, it's Jeff Mayhew, it's John Beatty, it's Politics and Parenting, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? Doing well, Jeff. A little tired. It's been a long week. It's been a long two weeks, I guess, since we were, were off last week, but uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I don't know if you knew there was an election last week, and uh, some people want to say it was the end of the world. Some people want to say it was uh, the beginning. Uh, I think it's just, like all things, it's an opportunity to consider what people did, what might have gone wrong. I think a shout out in order to a podcast guest, Ian Lovejoy, for his win. And uh, congratulations to him. Um, I remember when he was interviewing with us, he just sounded really knowledgeable about the issues. And I imagine in a tough competitive race, actually talking about the issues that matter to people rather than sort of what the uh, national narrative is, is uh, is good politics, as they say. So I am, um, and I want to say I'm, I'm not surprised he won because, you know, it's always tough in these races, but I think like, you know, actually understanding what, what your constituents care about, um, it matters. And so congratulations to him. And, uh, you know, I also saw that you got another piece published in the Hill. So congratulations on that. It was about campaigns finance reform. And, uh, you were basically calling out Mitch McConnell for being a party boss. And I know we talked a lot about this, but maybe there's new listeners that you can kind of explain sort of the context for that, you know, patronage, donations, parliamentary control, a lot of little things that go into that. Yeah, so uh, party bosses became really famous in the uh, Gilded Age with uh, Boss Tweed and Roscoe Conkling. And so this is where they controlled the appointments of power and they would dole those out to people who would be loyal to them um, and help them get reelected and work for their campaigns. And they basically use government money um, or government power um, to control their power and, and stay in office. Um, and Mitch McConnell doesn't do it that way, per se. Um, Mitch McConnell's power comes from the super PAC. Um, you know, it's it, even with Citizens United, they're not supposed to coordinate with the campaigns, um, the, the PACs are, but I don't know how that's really regulated it, it it seems that there's a lot of coordination that kind of goes on especially when you uh hear about that uh backdoor meeting that holly and mcconnell's you know said he's like basically like PACs are the way you stay in office you know like don't mess well with well jeff if, if it's, it's all in the fact fpc rules like if you read a little booklet that they published that's like 300 pages um it's very clearly spells out the limits and stuff and uh it's there's a super PACs. there's also the leadership fund packs i don't know if you might know about this but Every candidate has their campaign pack that they fundraise for, and then they've got the leadership pack, and then there's all sorts of things where um, you basically can take whatever money you want for your leadership pack and spend it however you want. So you can take nice vacations as a fundraising trips, if you will, quote unquote fundraising trips. Um, but like that's, I remember reading about this. Like once you start running for office and you like win a primary, basically you're fundraising for your your regular congressional campaign where you got to spend to like win, but then also a leadership pack that you then tend to, you, you want to use to dole out influence to other candidates to get them. So it's, it's, um, it's all on the open, Jeff. There's no secrets. <laughs> Except, well, so the secret is, <laughs> and it's like, the secret is, is you don't know who necessarily is donating to the pack or, I mean, it becomes a little bit more murky, right? And very you murky. Yeah. Who, who the representative is really representing, you know, um, and and you know just the idea of and we kind of talk about Reed's rules in the House. Um, well, 
Mitch McConnell on in the Senate kind of he used the filibuster a lot to kind of control his you know crew and they've consolidated power up into the uh, majority leader in the house in the Senate as well and you know using that that money be like hey look if you if you don't get on board with this you know we're not going to have as much in the leadership fund for your campaign next year mm -hmm. or maybe we're going to decide to donate it to somebody that's going to primary you you know and so it is what do we talk what do i talk about at all in money is a tool you know money is right. not speech it's a tool and mitch mcconnell uses that money as a as a tool or a weapon or whatever to kind of get the senate in line and some people like that some people think that that's a good thing i i would disagree um because you're putting power in a consolidated person's hands and that's not what our founders want it it to be they wanted it the Senate and the House to be deliberative bodies. That was what Congress was supposed to be. That was really important. Um, so I just, you know, the whole, you know, Holly thing, I, I don't really know what to think of Josh Holly. I know he's a highly educated person. He, um, sometimes I listen to him speak and I go, yeah. And other times I go, whoa. <laughs> you know, I feel like he's kind of that intellectual populist leader that would just kind of say anything to get power. But at the same time, you know, a broken clock is right, you know, at least twice a day. And him going after Citizens United, I think is, I mean, it's on par with with what he should be doing in the Senate. Um, and if it's just a stunt, which it is, cool. I wrote an article about it and a whole bunch of people read it. And, you know, the more we talk about Citizens United and it being a problem, the better. Well, that's the thing too. Like in the White Congress book is actually very uh, informative about this because it's not just the cloture vote, but it's the whole, the majority leader gets to set the whole agenda for debate and set like how you actually come up with a bill. So Senator Holly's bill is basically dead because the majority leader isn't going to let it come to the floor. Or if there's a, some kind of, some kind of vote or something, he basically, there's Robert's rules where you've got like amendments on amendments. And so there's a way to like basically block any kind of discussion on a bill because you say, I'm going to, I've got an amendment to an amendment to amendment. And that's like based on sort of procedural common, uh, would say common parliamentary procedure that we have in the United States. Like you're basically stuck um, yeah. because that's the rules that everyone agrees to. So now, now in order to get anything passed, you got to suspend the rules and that's complicated. So the majority leader doesn't just cloture, but it's like everything else that they can use to, to actually effectively kill any kind of legislation. And so the why Congress book is, is fascinating when he talks about like, uh, Basically, this bill is going to come up. They're going to allow you four amendments. Um, the amendments are already pre-planned and pre-approved, and uh, you know they anticipate they're all going to die, and then the bill goes through. And it's just like it's it's a weird uh, kabuki theater. I think is what people call it. Which is like there's no there is there is truly no debate. Like it all leaves no public debate. It all kind of happens behind closed doors. And you know, uh, being in a public body, I can understand that sometimes you just kind of you got to like hash things out in private and. Um, there is some merits to that for sure, but but it kind of belies the whole essence of what we think of the Senate, where you've got a day long speech from a from a senator about a, a key issue, and you know you, we're not privy to that anymore. No. So, I mean, uh, how would you fix it, Jeff? Oh, how how would I fix it? Yeah. So, I mean, I think people kind of when I when they come at Citizens United with me, they're like, "No, a citizens' right is is good," and then I'm just like. Okay, I I think the evidence. Well, so the so the, the context of that depends who you're talking to. So because it was like a conservative majority that struck it that struck it down, right? I think Republicans tend to think that it was good, and Democrats think it's bad. 
but I think you well, can. I just as you're, you're going to argue, it's probably bad for everyone. Well, I mean, no, I'm the people I talk to, kind of in the political circle, they all kind of think it's good because that's how they make money. Mm. Um, it, I mean, it is a, it's a huge, huge industry. <laughs> um, it's if it the meat if you know the politics feeds the media ad spending. I mean, and if you got rid of money in politics like that, I mean, it would be catastrophic to our economy <laughs> in a lot of ways. To be honest with you, um, but I so I think the way that you do it is you kind of you layer it like our Congress, like like our our government, and you kind of um, prioritize where people spend their money by the donations. So the first thing that I would do is I would eliminate corporate donations um, and set boundaries to everywhere donated. So you could only, if, you, if you're uh, donating for a president, you can only donate in, um, you know, as an American citizen. If you're donating to Congress, you um, you have to live in the district. Um, so you eliminate corporate donations, individuals only, um, but you raise the cap on individual donors. So right now, I believe it's $3,300 uh, $3, per election cycle. Um, if you're going for uh, president, I would raise it to $5 million. $5 million? Bucks? $5 million. Not yes. a typo right there? No, $5 million for president. I mean- and and for a Congress race, I would it, it would be three thousand um, dollars. So not inflation adjusted. Like I think originally it was two thousand bucks in the original campaign finance rules, and it's kind of goes up every year, every cycle because of unjust, inflation. Would you make well, that so inflation adjusted? I'm sure because in remembering, I'm shrinking the districts too. Okay, mm. so in my in my campaign finance world, I'm I'm building a like a functional government, right? So we're not doing just one thing because campaign finance doesn't fix anything alone and neither does uncapping the house. They need to be done. Like we need a lot of congressional reform, okay? <laughs> and so $3,000, there was $8 million spent in District 10 um, from the uh, Wexton in the last election cycle. That's with an, uh, about 756,000 people in the district. So you cut your districts in half, you're down to like 389,000. You keep the same amount of money, okay, in the pot. And now it's 3,000 people per district. Remember, or I don't know if I mentioned this, but your, if you max out your donation, whether for president or for Congress, you get a, a guarantee one-on-one -on -one with the candidate because- And that's like, the, you're, you're enshrining this in your, your law that you're passing. Yes. Um, and- because this goes back to Citizens United and this whole idea that money is speech. Okay, well, it's not, okay? Money is a tool. Mm -hmm. And so everybody, ha everybody can speak, but not everybody has money. And so by buying time with the candidate, you are using the tool of money to guarantee that your speech is heard. Mm -hmm. That is significantly different than this idea that money is speech. Um, and money's more like a megaphone or a telephone yeah. and separating out like regular everyday Americans really need to understand that you should not pay as much attention to the president as you do. Like it is, if you want to, 
everybody looks and they blame Congress and they blame the president and they blame the parties and they blame everybody else. But at the end of the day, every single American citizen needs to look at the mirror and go, I got to I got to hold myself accountable here. And your job is the people's house. Your job is get your I have a book right there. House out of order written in the 1920s um, by a uh, ex-Missouri uh, representative. I haven't gotten through but a couple pages, but like people get your house in order. Stop worrying about who the president is. <laughs> like let the really let the people that are actually going to get in the room with the president, the, the people that have to think along the same lines as the president in global scale, let them be in the room with the president, influencing the president. Let the president focus on those people and let those people influence them. I have no problem with, with uh, you know, uh, Elon Musk paying $5 million to a presidential campaign or candidate and getting a one-on-one -on -one with him. I want mm -hmm. that to happen. I want my president to speak to the best and brightest America has to offer. What I don't want is I don't want foreign companies to be able to use the PAC system as a way to launder money through and control our our political campaigns. That's what I don't want. So let's just let's just be transparent about it. They're going to corporations in you know, at the end of the day, they shouldn't be donating okay but the owners of the corporations absolutely should be donating and they should be donating large sums of money and we should know about it and it should mm -hmm. be totally cool like we you think about it the five million dollars it would take 320 people to get to 1.6 billion dollars that's how much money was in biden's campaign i think there are 320 people in the united states that could afford that if they really wanted to probably did but, uh, you know, this, that's the other thing, too. Like, sometimes you kind of want to be in the background, in the shadows, if you will, and you don't want your name associated with it. So um, I think that's another advantage that people would say of the super PAC system, the, the, the quote, dark money. Um, but I, I, but I, I mean, think like, by but nature, that is a dark problem. money it's lets bad. others in. Yeah, no, it's bad. I mean, like, if you one watching the Eric Adams scandal in New York City where there's like a Turkish corporation is paying off a developer and funneling money through people and they they actually never actually actually wrote the checks so that their names are on them and now um you know it's not looking so good so like it's very it happens it happens yeah. that foreign foreign businesses find ways to funnel money through there and because you've got a super PAC system where your names don't have to be on the checks um it's very easy to do that and i think that's that's kind of what we're, we're talking thinking about it's it's bringing things out, things that happen that are legitimate into the open so that we can squash the illegitimate activities. Yeah. Like I think that's, that's what you're, you're talking about. Yeah. And I think again, to this idea of speech, you know, money being speech is like, all right, even if we get, you know, we remove this idea of the PAC system and now you're, you've still got this corporations thing where it's like, well, you, the corporation can't donate and people might disagree with that. And look, I understand, I kind of understand where you're coming from that with that because you want the business needs to be able to like have some sort of sway in the government, mm -hmm. but you get that in being in the room with them. And mm -hmm. as it, you're going to be in the room with them as a major corporation working with congressional members, you're going to send lobbyists. You're going to, there's lots of different things you're going to do. Well, but, it gets the people of the company involved too, because again, like, if you know something big is happening in your for your industry, perhaps like then people in the company 
our have an incentive to also make sure that that their representative, you know, their, their representative of their district can uh, listen to them and understand what this change is going to affect their company. Like that's that is that's how you can get that sort of mechanism where the corporation needs its voice to be heard and it can get heard by limiting it to the people that work for a company. Right. And so those people can go donate individually, mm -hmm. right? Because what this does is there there may be a lot of people in the corporation or works for the corporation who maybe doesn't want the money donated to that candidate or the other candidate, right? And they're using the money that the that all the people in the company generate and yeah. they're using it because there's a small portion of people deciding that up top, right? And they may say that it's for the best interest of the company, but I mean, we also get where it's a lot of it's a lot of activism at the top now too, where the corporation is deciding like, hey, I want to be pro this or pro that. And so I'm going to donate to these companies. And again, like, I don't have a problem with that as an individual citizen. Um, I, I just, I have a problem with it because, you know, it's not the corp, that's not the corporation's job. Like the corporation is supposed to serve the community. Um, the corporation- Serve customers. I mean, yeah, ultimately serve some kind of customers. It should have a, a good relationship with its labor force um and take care of take care of them um and the people at the top are going to make enough money and if they want to donate to those candidates and they can represent them then that's good and mm -hmm. can you can you can you take your personal bias out of anything like if you're working for a company and you're the one that decides where the political money goes and you happen to be a single issue voter and that maybe pro-life or pro you know pro uh pro-choice um you're gonna you're gonna throw your money in the single issue you're at regardless it will, it will of take it, anything yeah. else you yeah. know and not everybody that generated that revenue believes that that's mm -hmm. their i mean in this idea that's their speech but somebody else is deciding what it says and and back to my original point money's not speech money's a tool and we just need to if if you want to recognize it in the campaign finance system, cool, but let's just recognize for what it is. And actually that, I think that there, there's a sort of precedent that in the idea of unions and the fact that you don't necessarily have to, to join a union to work in a union shop. Like I, I, I may be misremembering this, but I, I believe there's some Supreme court case recently that said like, you know, again, the union may, may speak for you in some cases, but they can't speak for you in all the cases. And so, that is compelled political speech to join a union. And I think we, we, we you know, in the same way we, we protect that where you don't have to join something that you don't agree with, Put your, you don't have to put your money behind things you don't agree with. And uh, speaking of, of things you don't agree with, I heard you went door knocking on uh, the weekend before the election. How was that? <laughs> I did go door knocking. Did you, uh, how did you find out there, John? This, this, I get spied I'm in, a, I'm in a secret back channel telegram that I hope doesn't get foiled. <laughs> yeah, I went to, I, I actually knocked for uh, Josh Thomas and Danica Rome on uh, the Saturday before election. And, and, and what would drive you to, I mean, I, I guess, I guess the first question, do you agree with those candidates on, on no, a number of issues? not at all. Not at all. I don't agree with most of what they have to say. <laughs> And so, like, well, what do you agree with them then? If that again, like, it's a single issue right there, what do you agree with them on? Nothing. I Nothing. mean, okay. I mean, they. It's hard to agree with people that don't have like real positions on things. Sure, um, and it's all yeah. more than anything. Which is a lot of politicians. To agree with somebody to be fair, you, to be fair. you don't 
actually get to debate with. Like, mm -hmm. I don't really know what they believe. I know what their commercials say. And, you know, I think the I didn't go because I agreed with them. I went because I thought I'd be able to talk to them. Like, at the end of the day, I got an, I was scrolling through Twitter and I saw an advertisement for uh, door knocking. And it was the next day. And I happened to have a couple hours free in the morning. And I was like, sign me up. So I signed up and I went there and, and I was like, hey. I'm going to meet Josh Thomas. I've been trying to get a hold of Josh Thomas the entire election cycle. He's running in my district. He's my representative. He's my voice. How could he know what I want him to say if he's never heard mine? That's true. Let me let me show up to him and and I'll, maybe I'll be able to talk to him. And you got you probably got an hour with him, right? Out with each of the candidates? I I he Josh was not there. Ooh. <laughs> So did you actually go door knocking and like knock for them? Was it an opportunity mm -hmm. to meet people? Yeah. Yeah. So you got a, you've knocked for the Republicans before, right? I've knocked for many candidates. Yes. I knocked okay. myself. So tell me if this sounds familiar. Yeah. The appointment time is nine o'clock. Mm -hmm. The person running the show shows up. And you up. get, you get there at eight fifty because you're ready to be, get out the door at nine o'clock. Right. right? And, yeah. and the person running the show shows up at nine Oh five. The person with the yeah. literature shows up at 9.15. Yeah, sounds about right. They assign at least the there's walk... donuts and coffee, right? Just... They, they assign the walk books at 9.30. <laughs> you pick your literature out of the back of a trunk that is disorganized. That's sometimes right. you get way too much. Sometimes you don't get enough. Mm -hmm. You don't know what it's like to dock for the Democrats. You showed up and... You went to a table, they signed you in, they gave you a pack of 43 pieces of literature because that's how many doors you were knocking. And it was pre-bundled, ready to go with your walkbook ID on the piece of paper. You download the app. By the way, it works flawlessly, okay? you If you've ever used the Republican app, so there's I360 and what's the other one? Campaign Sidekick. Campaign sidekick, which they're is the both, worst. They're yes, they're glitchy. They they don't work great. Um, if you're out in the sun, like good luck. Um, mm -hmm. And theirs worked great. They had a script with questions. Like it was very ready to go. And like this isn't to, you know, negate the people working on the Republican campaigns. Like that's a lot of work to do all that. And they're all volunteers and they're not getting paid and there's not a lot of them, you yeah. know? Um, but, you know, there could be more if they, maybe they wanted to talk about other things and let other people help. But, you know, uh, it shows you, it shows you the difference in the organization and mm -hmm. like, cause it's in both camps, there's some similarities to this. Both of them give you walk books where you knock on only people that agree with you's door yep the democrats are very upfront with do not talk to anybody that isn't on the walk book even if you knock the door and it's somebody else in the house don't talk to them in their um in their script if you like come across somebody that's like conservative or like you know strong republican they just tell you to like tell that person to have a nice day and move on they they're like they're not even like worried about engaging persuading or anything at the door um so they're just both both groups they're focusing on their guys their people and driving the vote out and if that's what it takes to win elections 
then the more organized side won. And you saw that. Um, yeah. Look, can you believe, speaking of campaign finance, Juan Pablo and SD31, is it 31 or was it 31? 30, yeah. 31. Mm -hmm. He spent $4.7 million for a state Senate race and he lost. He lost. I believe it. Lost. Like, I, I mean, the Democrats spent more, but still, it's insane. And, you know, for me, it's frustrating. You know, I can't talk to the Democrats because they're like, they're just, they're, there's so many gatekeepers because they're so well organized to keep you mm -hmm. out. Um, and the Republicans, you can show up to door knock and there's going to be a candidate there because that's like the blue collar labor party, you know, right. like they're getting outspent every direction. They can't keep up because in reality, they're not willing to, you know, they weren't willing to do the, the, I don't know, the other things that the other side does. And now when you go to a Republican meeting, you get the same thing. It's like, okay, well, the Democrats do it, so we're going to do it. The Democrats mm -hmm. do it, so we're going to do it. And it's like, you've been complaining that that's the problem with the country, and now – Hey, if if the, if Republicans can fix door knocking by actually showing up on time with literature and pieces, like that's that's a win in my book. I, I mean, I was blown away how organized Democrats were. I mean, I had only ever had experience knocking mm -hmm. doors for Republicans. And and it's like this whole thing about like election security and like losing elections. No, dude, like if you're a Republican and you're crying election security, go knock doors for the Democrats. See how well organized they are and just be like, which business would you pick? You mm -hmm. know, because here's the other thing. When you knock doors, Republican or Democrat, there's there's this other similarity that happens. You'll knock on the door. Hi, I'm here knocking for Josh Thomas, or I'm here knocking for John Stirrup. And uh, do you know there's an election coming up on Saturday or on Tuesday? Yes. Do you plan to vote? Yes. Do you plan to support Josh? Do you plan to support John? I don't know. What party are they running on? And then I'll go, depending on who I'm knocking for, Democrat. And they'll be like, yes, we plan on su supporting them. And then if it's a republic, if you're knocking for the Republican and you say Republican, they'll go, yes, we plan on supporting them. And then the follow up question is, so you didn't know the candidate's name before right now and you're already determined that you're going to vote for them? And they'll go, yes, they're on the right side. And that's a problem. Like right. that's a big problem. And the parties, the candidates, the people with the power to make change don't care. Like they don't care that they're just hurting people to the ballots mm -hmm. and there it's, it's scary, you know, like your job, it's information. Like if I'm donating money to a congressional candidate, I want them to inform people of the district, what's going on. I want them to engage the people they represent, not just the people that's on their side and vote for them. That's not representation. Like it's, it's a big problem. People should be concerned. No, I completely agree. I think that's when you talk about the the four point seven million or four point five million that was spent on election. Like, was that spent on bringing people to your side? Because if you look at Senate District Thirty One, um, it's it's a it's a swing district, as they say, but it's a district that Youngkin lost by three or four points. So it's not like it's you're coming in there and you've already got quote an advantage partisanly, where you just have to bring out the Republicans and they'll vote for you. Like you actually have to bring in people to your side to vote for you and when 
when you look at the ads and I, I got, I know where a lot of that money went because it came into my mailbox every single day with, with terms yeah. of mail. And, Hold um, on. Hold and I on. saw the, the uh, ads on TV and such. And um, like, you know, you just kind of wonder, is that money being spent to bring people to your side? And I think far too often, it's not being able to, it's not being brought to people's side. Look at that. I don't look, know if people look people at on, people that. on YouTube can see this, but people listening, it's uh, what is that, thirty or forty pieces of literature that came in the mail? I don't know. I have hundreds of them. There you go. I I, I save them, and that but that's where the money goes, and the money mm -hmm. goes like I will get so many of these, but people that are not in their system won't get any. Right. And they won't know what's going on, and they won't know when to vote, and they don't know what the candidates want. Not that these things say anything of value. Right. And this is this is back to the point. Three thousand dollars for a congressional race. You get a one on one with your candidate. OK, mm -hmm. your voice gets heard. That's your house. Like you're an American citizen. You have freedom of speech and your speech is heard through the House of Representatives. And if you're going to spend money, you should have it heard. Use that money as a tool and get the other end of your you know, whatever. I lost my friggin train of thought there but no it's, but it's true though like like there's no effort to bring people into a coalition and this is so much about what politics is it's not about purging people out of your party and who aren't like pure enough where you just say oh that's a rhino it's about like building a coalition and we're, we've so far lost that and at least on the republican side i think the democrats are much better about of keeping whatever their coalition is and keeping party unity but um well, in, it, it, it's about like it, you, you have to bring people over at some point. Well, so, you know, I think we I talked about Reed's rules last week, right? Mm -hmm. or, or when we had uh, uh, Philip on. So I wrote an article. It hasn't been published yet. I don't know if it'll be published or I'll put it in my sub stack. It's called um, When the Republicans Ruled. And this it's the story of how Reed's rules came to be. And that's kind of how we got to that, and it's consolidated mm -hmm. party power. And you mm -hmm. you put the part that put the uh, power in the parties, and that that just continued to grow. And I read this, so can you see this here? Congressional so, Record House. Yeah, I pulled the whole date? congressional record from the day that Reed's rules went in, and I read the whole thing. It was fascinating. It's linked in the article whenever it comes out, John. You'll have to read it because you'll get a kick out of it. Um, but like that's kind of where it goes, and you know, it consolidates the power. And then over time, as Congress has gotten kind of weaker and the Senate has consolidated power and the parties have consolidated power, now we get this system that's essentially tyranny, if you mm -hmm. look at it, because, yeah. you know, James Madison in Federalist Number 47 said the consolidation of the legislature, judiciary, and executive into one is the very definition of tyranny. And I'm paraphrasing that. But now what parties do and both and i asked this when i went door knocking to the republic to the uh democrats i said do you think that it's a good thing for our country that the house of delegates the senate and the governor that one party should tell you to vote for their partner in those things as a way to get something done you know it, it should it should the party's objective be to consolidate the power of the the two branches of Congress and the executive into one. And they they did not 
want to give me a good answer. <laughs> you know, like it just and it's not like it's not like they give you it was just a really weird scenario where like they just didn't want to talk about it. And mm -hmm. again, where as a citizen, where am I supposed to go to talk about these things? Well, like if I so Jeff, there, Jeff, there's a house in Leesburg that I drive by a lot that has a sign that says stop one party rule. And I see the other campaign sign, so I know which party they're opposed. But like <laughs> they're complaining about one party rule, but really what they want is their party to be in rule. Like yes. it doesn't matter. It, the stop one party rule is the fact that their party is out of power and not able to push things through rather than um, just the fact that a party is in control. Like they would be very happy if their governor, their house of delegates and their legislature were all controlled by the same party because they know that their, their partisan plan would get through. And I, it just, to me, it's disingenuous. That's all. Well, yeah. And then it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it there is a reason that we have this system of checks and balances um like like james madison said it's the very definition of tyranny and remember if you are if you if this is the federal government and the president the senate and the congress are all republican and the supreme court's republican what do you have you know, if it's vice versa, if it's Democrat, 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 and the court is Democrat, which is harder to imagine right now. But if it is, what do you have? You have a system where it's all controlled by one, one mm -hmm. party, you know, and it's the whole point of our system is to make sure that no one thing is controlling a majority of the system. Um, and and the thing, the thing with the part, the partisan aspect of it is the party itself is not democratically elected. Like you're your governor is democratically elected technically your representative is te te technically democratically elected the supreme court is kind of weird especially on the federal level but on states it's it's sometimes it's by election but the fact that the party leadership no one really has any say in and like that's where insiders come in and that's where money has an influence i mean like there's a fight right now on the republican side about the uh, ronna mcdaniel and vivak ramaswamy's going after her but um, like, no, I, I never voted for Ronald McDaniel. Uh, I don't think you ever did too. And like, that's where it, it's kind of shielded from, from actual like day-to-day -day operate data, people's day-to-day -day lives and, and how they can, um, influence that. And I think like, that's that tyranny you talk about. It's, it isn't the fact that it's just one person, but the fact that there was no real collaborative effort to get to there. And I, again, going back to why Congress, my new favorite book, um, I'm thinking about like this this recent federal jury case where they basically said that uh, real estate commission is uh, some kind of form of, of monopoly and it has to be canceled. Like that's 12, that's literally 12 people and a judge that have upended the entire real estate industry of the United States. Like whether or not you agree with that, and I, I'm obviously I'm biased because my mother is a real estate agent, my wife helps her. Like I see how the business works and the industry works, but but there was no no legislative effort in that and and why congress talks about how like the civil rights act like it took a long long time to get there but you had buy-in from so many people eventually and you kind of you let the whole process work itself out and then once the right the, the civil rights act was passed and the southerners lost they recognized it and they accepted it and they realized like this is the rule of the land now but now we're gonna we're gonna have this weird like fight where there's commission you know again like there was no effort to kind of come up with a consensus on that and that's where we're going to be stuck and I, like well, this partisan thing is a, is a uh, sort of a microcosm of that but it's so i don't know you know we're so, so siloed or something where we just can't like 
actually talk to people with different per, with persuasions and um you know when you when you said you were door knocking for the democrats like jeff what, what jeff what are you doing um and you know when as you Look, discuss it, it doesn't like, matter I, like when you door knock like you're just letting somebody know that there's a vote coming i know on. Yeah, yeah yeah you know like it's and it's if if it's not me it's going to be somebody else but you know like they're not short on door knockers for the for the democrats like i said they're a very well organized machine um for me it was about trying to actually speak with my the candidate which mm -hmm. is ridiculously hard mm -hmm. um but it you know you were kind of talking about the consensus that was built in congress during the civil rights and there was no real backlash like significant backlash to it and that was because you built this large consensus it yep. wasn't a simple majority and okay. and not only that, but you gave someone the opportunity to to say like I don't agree with this, and then right. they lost anyway, and they were able to accept it. Yep, you let like, you let the other side have their argument, and mm -hmm. and like that's that is a prime example of Congress working the way that Congress was designed. But and just the the beauty of free speech in general, like letting people yep. give their peace, like that's what it is. It's about giving their peace so that you can have peace. Uh, and if you don't let someone speak their mind they will feel like they are not represented at all uh, yeah. when in fact like there is some representation but you just gotta like let the whole thing go but when things just get jammed through that's where trouble starts well so remember remember when we first met and i used to say i believe that two out of every three people are good people mm -hmm. right and like there's a reason for that and and there's a reason that our government is is based on this like uh concurrent majority if you will and that's because two out of every three people are good people. One person is the strong good person. One person's the bad person. And then there's a third person in there that, you know, they could go either way, but they're going to go the way of good because they want to be good because everybody wants to be good, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and you, but you have to, you have this person, the person in the middle there, if, if this person gets silenced, they're going to think that this person's bad and they're not going to listen to their argument. Right. Yep. And that's why it's so important that if you have the argument, if you are the good person in the deliberative body, then you allow the other person to be heard. And now what you might find out is, oh, crap, I wasn't the good person. Maybe I'm wrong. And maybe you change your mind and you're over here. And now you're part of that whole the other side or, you know, at least or, the or you in learn the from their argument. You learn from their argument. So like, oh, they're wrong and this and this and this. And then I can bring someone else along. Right. And yeah. so now you, if you hear their argument, now you can convince the person in the middle to come to your argument because they're wrong. And like, this is the system, but back to Reed and his rules, you know, and it became a simple majority, a, you know, a 51% type of thing. And mm -hmm. that's been a problem. And that's kind of how we, we legislate now. And that's why we have so much division in the country because we don't bother to get concurrent majority majorities anymore. We are forcing it's it's about tyranny it's about mm -hmm. one party rule and then it's about forcing it through on slim majorities and executive executive actions and this is not good it's not how the system was designed no and, and we'd see its breakdown and we see the uh the fruits of that that sort of bad system like we're in a bad spot and it doesn't seem to be getting much better but uh that's what we're talking about so we can get better well, and that brings me to what I want to talk about next. Um, so, like, I got into this because I kind of saw this problem. Now, I didn't maybe know, you know, as deeply as I know now because I, I study it. But 
my goal was, my thought process was 2024 is going to be one of the most contested elections we've ever had. Mm -hmm. um, presidential, congressional race, there will be a lot of contested elections, I believe, coming up in 2024. I think the groundwork's already been laid. Um, nothing really happened after 2020. There was no real resolution for the two sides that felt they were gypped. Um, and I wrote a, a, an article, The Big Lie of 1876, uh, a few weeks ago for the Freeman Letters. And in it, I kind of tell the story of the first real contested election and you know the subsequent uh, investigation that came afterwards. And this led to the partisan nature of our government now in, in all reality because the Republicans didn't trust the Democrats because of all the election fraud. And um, I just – it didn't go away, you Wait, know. Like so you're it, saying, it, you're saying there was election trouble before 2020. I yeah, I. <laughs> there's always. No, no, I been thought I thought 2020 was the first election we could never trust. There's always been election integrity issues. There always will be election integrity issues. Right. You know, there's always going to be somebody that has the mantra: if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Now, those people are wrong. And we mm -hmm. try to limit that as much as possible, but those people exist and we just got to recognize it. Um, but like my thing was, is I wanted to, like, I wanted to, I wanted to meet somebody in power and kind of share the information that I had learned and been like, look, I, from what I can see from the outside, we have this, this, and this problem. I just want to help. I want to work on a campaign. I want to, you know, I've, I've offered, I offered to work for every state, uh, local people that i've met in person republican or democrat when i met abigail spamberger i said i'd work for her for free like i don't care like i have i've put a lot of effort into learning this stuff and i think that it could really help the country and we need legislators talking about congressional reform we had philip wallach on the show last and mm -hmm. while we may not agree on what that congressional reform is we both agree that congressional reform is like the number one issue that Americans should be talking about. Yeah. But that's not what we're talking about. And, you know, that's what I got in it for. I ran for Congress to try to meet somebody and talk to somebody. I have been doing this for a year and a half or two years or whatever it is now. And it's a lot of work and I'm just tired and I'm kind of burnt out, uh, to be honest with you. And uh, the business is it's a slow transition pulling Vanessa over and carrying us. And I've just got to a point where it's like, I kind of have to either make this a job, like where I get paid or kind of move on. <laughs> and so what I, I guess what I'm looking for is to open up politics and parenting for subscriptions. And I would look, I would need probably about, 160 subscribers to donate about $50 a month to kind of make it so I can do this. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I typically read about one book of a month, a uh, one book a week. I ideally, like if I wanted to do this show or just writing in general on a regular basis, articles, informational for people to understand what's going on, I would, uh, I'd probably read like one book a day. Yeah. Um, and if I, I could do that if I didn't have to like, run my business and this and you know it's it's complicated and you know there's no i'm with you like it's, it's this is like like politics is a big drag on people's time and this is one of the things i discovered in the school board is um like it 
you think it's a part-time job and then it becomes like a full-time thing and you're like i don't i don't really have time for this and everything else and right. uh, things suffer because of it so i i under, completely understand where you're coming from like it's it is a lot of time even though um it may seem easy or people make it seem easy yeah i mean we, my biggest thing is like i just i'm really frustrated with the fact that i just don't think people talk about the right things you know mm -hmm. like like i said it's congressional reform Everybody wants to talk about the thing that affects them, and I get that that thing is hurting you. It's hurting me, right? But that thing doesn't get fixed until we fix Congress, okay? And um, you know, look, look at, look at Mitch McConnell. In my article, I pointed out that when Mitch McConnell entered, um, entered the Senate, that uh, we were like one point seven billion dollars in debt, and now we're like thirty three trillion dollars in debt. So. This guy's had power for a really long time, and he's used money to keep himself in power and gain more power, and mm -hmm. Americans have gotten poor, okay? Because we're in debt. That's $100,000 per every single <laughs> taxpayer or person, I think. I can't remember the exact uh, number there, but – No, I, I, think it's, I think it's like per person. It's not like per it's person. per voter or something. It's, it's gross. Which means if you have dependents, you're more debt. <laughs> yeah. And like – but it hasn't – there's no repercussions for him, you know? Like he controls so much of the American citizen's power, and we can't do anything to get him out of it because we can't vote him out of Kentucky, right? Um, mm -hmm. And he's not going anywhere if he you know, can drown out his opponents with money. And the Republicans aren't really going to even try to you know, run a primary against him because they want him to use that power to – get them more power in the house it's a game and they're yeah. just you know he's like he's you know he's not the king but he's like he's a bishop right i mean he's a very powerful piece in the puzzle or in the game and um you know they don't want to let him go so yeah. i th i just think i lost my I, I got i got sidetracked on campaign finance again but you know no it's just like a, like that's a big problem like it and it I would go back to like what we're talking about, like when we first met running, like I would think, oh, I don't know what I thought was important. I think big tech was what I was thought was important. And then um, hearing you talk about uh, about expanding the house, campaign finance reform, <clears throat> I think no one had ever really talked about it to me. Now, I kind of being in technology, I sort of it was sort of like on the periphery of sort of very liberal circles. I, mean, I would say progressive circles that they always complain about Citizens United. So Maybe I was primed to hear the sort of counter argument from what you might say, like the Republican side. But um, like once you started talking about it, like I really kind of got what you were talking about. And I think, you know, you explained it. So I I do think these are big issues. And I think these are these are massive issues that are going to help fix the log jam, as I like to say, of of all the other important issues that our country faces. Like um, and you could, I know I take it from a programmer perspective, like if you've got a bad system, you're going to have buggy programs on top of it. And so we need to sort of like fix the system, fix the flaws in it, you know, reprogram it, if you will, or, or um, in order to get back to where the system should be going, where our founding fathers sort of anticipated and and, uh, and expected things to be. And I think that's, that's the, the mess we're in is we're so far afield from where the original foundings was, you know, was yeah. it like a Republic? If you can keep it, as people like to say, like it yeah. is a Republic. If you can keep it, you know, I think it's, a, it's a very trite phrase, but it is very 
very apt where if it is a a uh, partisan tyranny, a partisan dictatorship, like, you know, things don't get done and we all suffer for it. Yeah. And, you know, so going into 2024, I mean, when I, when I jumped in and I, I wanted to run for Congress, like my whole goal was like, obviously I'm not going to win. I mean, a little part of you thinks, Hey, this is a catch fire. You never know. Right. Like a big part of you always thinks that. Yeah. A big part of you always, you know, let's just be real. Let's just be real. But I mean, deep down inside, come on. I knew. Um, but I mean, my goal was for the next one and like, I'm sitting here, you know, the economy's tough. Uh, my wife had to change jobs and come work for me. And, um, you know, we're doing a good job at transitioning to business, but it's going slower than I wanted it to go. I wanted to be running for Congress again. Like I want to have a voice in 2024 with what I believe is going to happen. And I want to be able to be there to educate Americans so they're not freaking out and making bad decisions because mm-hmm. I don't think that the media is going to be prepared to do it. And I don't think that uh, the people running for office have any clue what they should be studying. And it's a full-time job. Like this is just, just being prepared enough to know the right information to tell people is a full-time job. And I know through this whole endeavor, people like to give me advice like, oh, you should be on TV. You should be doing these things. And it's like, it's very flattering. Easier, easier said than done. Yeah. I, it is very flattering. And I agree with you. I should, but and they're like, well, you should do this so you can be on TV and you should do this so you could be on TV. And it's like, yeah, you're right. I should do those things so I should be on TV. But my goal is not to be on TV. My goal is to be prepared with information. So if I ever get a chance to be on TV, I will have something of value to say. And mm-hmm. there's no other way to do it than to like, I mean, with splitting my time with the business, I have to make choices. And the thing that I'm always going to drop off the bucket and not do is selling myself, you know, because I'm going to spend that time with my family. I'm going to spend that time on my business. I'm going to spend that time studying. Like I said, one book a week. If I had more time, it'd be one book a day. And and that's what it really needs to be. And people are like, hey, it doesn't need to be that way. I disagree because that's what James Madison did. And that's what Teddy Roosevelt did. And that's what Abraham mm-hmm. Lincoln did. And that's what all the great leaders that we've ever had have done. They just read ferociously. And it's it's kind of like being a parent, you know? And that's why they were called our founding fathers, right? Is because right. they were able to guide us simply because they had more information about us. And when I say us, I mean American citizens. Um, and, yeah. and how that happens is they just read a lot of history. They read the stories that had happened before, and now you're able to layer those over the present, see what's going on, and make better decisions going forward, you know, if you're incentivized to make those decisions. And they were because of the situation with with Britain. So, and, you know, I kind of see that, and I go, things happen, and people kind of freak out, and I go, whoa, let's not freak out here. It's okay. Like, I mean, it's not okay. Things were done that were wrong, but, you know, we don't have to... It's not the end of the world. It's only the end of the world if we think it's the end of the world and we retaliate like it's the end of the world. And we keep escalating yeah. the problem until we get to a point of no like no quarter where now we're at war with each other in some mm-hmm. shape or fashion, um, either legislatively or physically. Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, like I said, I, I want to be able to do that going into 2024. 
I'm not going to be able to do that unless I start, if I just break down and just, Hey, pay me $50 a month. Like I just pay me $50 a month and I'll work my butt off reading books about Congress and history. And I will write about it and I will share it. And, uh, you know, when 2024 comes up and there's, you know, six people running for president and they can't figure out which one won because you've never had an electoral college where it was that split this much, you can come ask me what we should do and I will have right. read about it and I'll be able to tell yeah, you. Be there like, for us. This is I'll I'll be there, you know, like <laughs> this is this is what I do or what I would like to do. <laughs> but if I can't get that, I'm gonna have to step back for a little while just mm -hmm. because of the time and you know I gotta I gotta be able to pay my mortgage, which means I have to devote if it's gonna be me and and the wife on the business, then that means I have to I have to give this type of attention to that during this type of economic times. Let's put it that way. Right. It's not gonna be we just had a speech in church about how the need to donate more because uh things are more expensive, but it's a, more expensive for everyone. Like it's it's tough times. Yeah. Well, you know. And so. it's uh I don't know. The uh is it Jim or James? Hold on. James, this guy right here, we had on our podcast. He's been tweeting some positive economic numbers, um, but I am more skeptical. But like again, like do you, <laughs> do, you tr do you trust the the positive economic numbers? Like I feel like a lot of that stuff, not that it's cooked, but it's so uh, microscopic in a certain sense. Like it doesn't quite tell the whole story. Like yes, employment's up. Yes, people's wages are up. But like I feel like we've got less money coming into the house every year or every month in terms of like what we spend you know, are able to spend it on and um you know things are just more expensive like my property tax bill went up because the school board keeps raising raising stuff um so like you know like it's a lot of things a lot of like a, a lot of little things that are kind of adding up and i think that's the the weird aspect for it um and i just think like you know there's a lot of uncertainty about it you know obviously China is a big producer of so many goods that come into us and we're kind of in this weird quasi war with them where we don't like what they do and they don't like what we do. And so we go kind of tit for tat, you know, that could escalate. Um, obviously what's happening in Ukraine, Israel are big situations that could boil over um, into kind of, you know, Europe, I guess Europe has been very peaceful for the past 70 years, but you never know. That could go in, and the Middle East has been peaceful for the past like seven months before this. So, <laughs> um, this could this could lead to something bigger. And um, there's a lot of big parties. You know, you know, we've got bases all around there. I'm sure China has bases all around there. Russia's involved in Syria. Like, things could escalate very quickly, as they say. Well, so like, it's not an and uncertainty. And again, you know, back to hey, where do you want to get your information from? Mm -hmm. What what do you want to hear about, or what should you hear about as a voting citizen? You know, and you're talking about all these conflicts, and then we were talking about campaign finance. And let's think back to like when campaign finance really came to be. That was the McKinley era. What happened? Mm -hmm. We immediately started going to war, right? Yeah. As soon as corporations started, and why did this happen? Because the corporations had interests that were outside of the United States, okay? And they were in. And see, like this is this is what gets me. Like people don't talk enough about this time of period. Like we've got the Spanish-American War at the turn of the turn of the century, um, 
then kind of the whole lead up in Europe before the entangling alliances before World War One. Um, I believe there's another conflict in there. But, um, so the uh, the Philippines. Philippines, yeah, well, yeah. The Philippines. Like, there's a lot of a lot of things going around that again, like it's in people's interest Cuba. to Cuba. We we've we've we could have had Cuba. I I just I, you know, it the story of that twice we could have had Cuba and we didn't. And I just I feel like we would have been better off if we did have Cuba. But I don't know. We could have had it wouldn't legit give, too. Wouldn't have given Kennedy anything to do when he was president. So you know. I guess, <laughs> but I mean, but that's the point. And and back to the campaign finance that we were talking about before. There, there should be boundaries, okay, mm -hmm. of where you donate, and to make sure that, and then the corporation does not fit into those boundaries. You know, it has interests outside of the United States, and I, I know that individual citizens have interests outside of the United States, but those interests are not as powerful, okay, and it is different and more transparent if the people are up there and they have to defend their their money and go, hey, I put it in for this person that's more, you know global than this person right. you know right at whatever it is um yeah. and again nobody talks about that's that's my area of expertise right the antebellum era and the gilded age the dead zones i read where nobody else reads because it's just cool to know things that people don't know <laughs> and it's like history kind of just forgot about it but uh there's a lot of great books out there on them, you know, and you can read them and study Congress and all that stuff. But or you can give me $50 a month and I'll do it. <laughs> Sold. 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 Right there. And it doesn't have to. I don't know. Like, I've never done this whole uh, subscription thing before, but we'll figure it out. Um, I think I do need to reach a certain number by December. Otherwise, like I said, I'll probably pack it up. You can give 25 somebody else gets 75 that's basic balance i need like 160 at 50 for me to move forward that's what i'm thinking but um you know we'll see after we open it up um what do you think john make it work that's what i'm saying no but, but i agree like um there's a you know my favorite book on duties cicero talks about being able to give what you have and uh you know not give profligately where you're just sort of if you don't have a lot of money but you're borrowing it and then spending it uh, but you know being able to what is that oh look at that cicero i know him i, I finally got him there we go about time um, and if i if but i would already it's, have it's, read it's, it's about like it's about like giving giving what you have and like i talked to katie's always about like this like oh you know you should stay more involved in the same sense but like the most the, the greatest gift we have is our time and if we don't have the ability to give it it's just, it's not, you know, it, it comes from somewhere else. Right. Um, and it's, uh, you know, not a complaint. It's just, it's just a matter of fact, like you can only give what you have and, yeah. um, you know, you got to find a way to, to quote, buy your time so that you can give it away if you will. So, um, yeah. another, there's like a, this is, there's a proverb or something that, um, it's like pay dearly for education and give it away freely or something. It's, it's a, um, I'll find the quote and I'll put it in there, but it's, it's in that same event. Like you, you got to learn a lot. And then you don't charge someone for what you've learned because you're helping them. And I think that's what we're doing in this podcast. Um, yeah. And uh, well, maybe we'll throw together, I'll throw together some sort of like a swag prize where you get it, you get a t-shirt, you know, everybody you gives away a t-shirt. I have a specialty in making t-shirts. So like you donate $50 you, a month. You, you know, a guy who can do t-shirts. <laughs> It'll say, I gave Jeff Mayhew $50 a month and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. 
and a whole bunch of information on representation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then a QR code to the podcast. There you go. Oh, you know, we could give them, uh, I can give them a t-shirt and I give them the whole literature packet, the mm-hmm. representation, the sphere of power. I got it all ready to go. We do that. That's done. And Hey, it's supposed to be informational. It's, you know, think about it this way. If, if you wanted to know like, Jeff, what have you learned over the last three years? Like, what should the American citizen know about like being a good stewardship of their rights? Don't focus so much on the presidency. Mm-hmm. So focus at home, right? Focus on your local elections. Vote in the primary election and meet the candidate. Okay. If you, if at least on the Republican side, it is really easy to go out and actually meet your candidate. And if you're a Democrat that tries to meet your candidate and you can't, don't vote for that person. Go That's meet right. the Republican and just find out if they're as evil as you've been told, right? That's because, right. And look, and I disagree with a lot of the Republican candidates running for office, but I disagree with them because they were more like the Democrats than they were less like the Democrats, okay? And so if you just actually went out and talked to the person, I feel like you'd have a lot more in common than you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and is your voice really being heard if you're not speaking to the candidate? And nope. are do you really have any choice if you're just showing up on the general election day and voting because you're just voting the party's voice? You didn't choose that person and you didn't have a say in that person. So, like I said, number one rule: focus local. Stop paying attention to the president. President, okay, that's for the elites. All right, it's okay that the president's elite. He's got a lot of responsibility. Focus on your congressional race and. Vote in the primary. Just so important. Vote in the primary. <laughs> Vote in both primaries if you can. Yeah. Well, not, always. not always. So, well, it's been a good episode, John. Been a good episode. I think you, uh, there's a book you want to talk about sort of towards it the is. end. Well, we, I mean, you've already pubbed Why Congress like five times. We're like a book promotion uh, podcast now. Um, and I've talked about Marie's rules, but. Our good friend Craig Stewart of the Madisonian Republicans has a new book out. It's called, oops, oh, Over Emergence. <laughs> Sorry, I should have gone that way. It's Emergence. It's a sci-fi novel, um, and I haven't read it yet, and Craig's probably like, Jeff, why haven't you read it yet? But it came out on November 1st. You can buy it on Amazon. I highly recommend it. I have not... I haven't read this one, but I've read chapters of it because Craig gave me a little sneak peek and it was very good. Um, Craig's a fantastic writer. I follow his Substack. Uh, he's a great poet. You know how much I love poetry. So I know this book is going to be fantastic. We will, of course, be covering it on our podcast, What the Book. Um, but yeah, it is, it, it's, it's exciting. I, Craig's, Craig's awesome. And it's, it's freaking awesome that he did this. It's good. Yeah, no, I think uh, more of us should be, become authors as well. But again, it goes back to time. He's got the time. He found a way to make yeah. it happen. Have you bought it yet? Have you bought it? I need to get it. Maybe get it. Oh, you make get it, it after this podcast. Yeah, go, 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 go buy his book. We'll do a Madisonian book club around it. There we go. Like, I, I know there's probably a lot of government in this book. I mean, that's why I like to read sci-fi because sci-fi is basically government. <laughs> Yes, it is about uh, futuristic governments. What our government can be doing right now? I mean, that was the, the thing with the conservative futurist was the whole uh, 
uh, race to Mars. You know, that's the government promoting a future future society and where we could potentially go and being willing to spend the money to try to get there. Yeah. We got to get back to that. Having hope, <laughs> focus, ideas. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, this has been a good episode. I appreciate mm-hmm. it, John. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners out there. Um, remember to like and subscribe, share the show if you can. If you're able to subscri- um, uh, pay subscribe, you can go on um, and pledge your donation support. So we'll see it. Uh, once we get to the uh, the number we need, we'll open it up for actual donations and we'll get this thing rolling. Um, and I can promise you, I put a lot of work into making sure that whenever this moment came where I was getting paid for my work, that it would be professional and be good. And I hope that over the last uh, couple of years, you've seen my growth in my writing and my productions and know that once I give, uh, have the ability to give it 100% of my uh, work focus, I can promise that it'll be a very polished and professional piece. So uh, appreciate everybody out there that's been listening. um, And I'm excited for, uh, what we have uh, to move forward. John, anything before we uh, head out? No, again, just appreciate everyone listening to the podcast and giving your honest feedback and coming to our meetings and everything. We uh, will see you next time. All right. Peace and love.